Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church. Thank you so much for being here. Will you stand with me as we read through God's Word this morning? If you'd like to follow along with the reading and need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one with you. Or if you know someone that needs a Bible, please take this one and give it to them. We'd love for you to have God's Word in your hands throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 1 through 6, and can be found on page 835 in that Bible. Please follow along with me as I read. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us here this Easter Sunday. God, we are so thankful that you hold true to your promises. Uh, Today is Easter. You are risen. And uh, we pray for Jason as he brings the sermon to us this morning. Pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Man, this is our day, our day of hope, a day that we remember that we are truly forgiven, that we are truly accepted because of the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. I say this every year. I'm going to say it again. And as long as God gives me grace to be a pastor and a preacher and there's wind in my lungs, I want to remind us that this is a historical day for us. We are rooted in history. Easter is a day we memorialize the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, there's Easter bunnies. Yes, there's eggs and there's egg hunts. That doesn't bother me so much. I'll never forget the opening to the U2 Rattle and Hum album when they said, this is a song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles and we're stealing it back. And they started playing Helter Skelter because before Charles Manson, that was a Beatles song. Who knows what I'm talking about? Well, God is creator God. You want to go hunt some eggs? That's fine. Let's make a mockery of all the pagan worship that there is out there and redeem that stuff for King Jesus. This is his. This earth is his. He proved that with his resurrection. You are his if you trusted in his life and his death and his resurrection. Christianity is not a cultural placebo, a sugar pill that we take to feel better about death and uh, depression and anxiety and broken relationship and estranged relationships. This is the resurrection of Christ. We are not merely a philosophical movement where we are trying to just be nice to people that we secretly hate deep down inside. We are not a religion where we are trying to do better to get God to notice us and let us into his gang. This is rooted in the life of Christ, his innocence, his righteousness, the death of Christ, his uh, um, atoning work for our sin, his resurrection, where we could have hope in what Christ has done and what Christ will do. We've gathered today to remember that heaven will not be found at work. It will not be found in our family. It will not be found in our hobbies. It will not be found in our retirement. And as as nice as it would be to play golf all week long, you know it's still not heaven because your score is not what you want it to be, right? (laughs) Jesus is alive. He is our hope. He is heaven and heaven is on its way. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we can trust in all of the promises of Christ. 
I want to lay the foundation for us before we get into Matthew 28 this morning, and I want you to see it from the the scene perspective and the natural perspective of the followers of Jesus. See, I believe, and, and you can believe, the scriptures show us the seen and the unseen realm, that when God created the seen and the unseen, he did so in the beginning. If we see in the garden, why, why were serpents talking and why do they not talk anymore? Why, why did it seem like uh, Adam and Eve could communicate with livestock like, and just speak to each other? Because the seen and unseen were together. When Adam and Eve were banished in, in exile outside of the Garden of Eden and the angel guards the door, uh, the seen and unseen have been separated. And many of you would say, I want to see the unseen. If I could see the unseen, I would believe in Christ. And that's how this works, our belief in Christ, our faith in him. We're going to get to where the seen and the unseen collide on this day of resurrection and where there are angels that are announcing that Christ is not there to these ladies who love Jesus very much. But before we can get there, I just want to take you to what people were feeling, the anticipation and the fear of failure that that they felt. Christ comes the incarnation of God. God becomes flesh. The word of God that spoke the universe into existence. The theophanies or Christophanies we saw in the Old Testament whenever Christ would appear, the angel of the Lord in all caps is always Jesus manifesting himself, showing up, hanging out with Abraham, rescuing Lot and his family from destruction. You'll see all throughout the Old Testament these these theophanies or Christophanies of Jesus. And then he comes. God puts on flesh. God becomes in one place at one time in one person in the embodiment of Jesus Christ, the God-man. He has to learn how to walk. He has to learn how to talk. He has to learn how to drive a stick, most likely, because he drove cheap cars, because his dad was just you know, a blue-collar dude. That's who Jesus is, okay? So he, he, he grows to be about 30 years old. He follows his cousin, John the Baptist. John baptizes him. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. God speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus begins his public Holy Spirit empowered ministry. When he shows up and says, repent and believe the gospel, the kingdom is at hand. People would believe the gospel. When he would command demons to leave people, they would leave people. Whenever he prayed for the sick, they would be healed. Whenever he prayed for Lazarus or commanded Lazarus to come up from the grave, he came up from the grave. Jesus had a powerful, public, Holy Spirit-filled ministry. As he's making these promises and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's recruiting disciples. He recruits 12 fellows, and at least 120 are around them and following them around and trying to do what those guys are doing, emulating what they're gaining from Jesus. And those guys are starting to wonder, like, who is Jesus? Is he a George Washington figure? Is he an Abraham Lincoln-type figure? Is he a Barack Obama-type figure, a, a, a Donald Trump-type figure? Is he going to make Israel great again? Is he going to take the marginalized and the lower class and the minority and prop them up and lift them up? Are we going to become a superpower once again? And, and for the prophets, they had to think of Jesus like Tupac or John Lennon, a guy who would speak truth to power no matter what would come his way, no matter if the bullets would fly, he's going to speak truth to power. And so as he has his public ministry, as he does what he does, as people anticipate that he's going to be the next king of Israel, he is, but not in the sense that they thought. Others began to figure out, oh, this guy is not going to establish us as a superpower. One of those guys was the name Judas. 
Judas betrays Jesus when he realizes that Jesus is not a political power figure. He's a spiritual figure. He seems like a pacifist to Judas at the time. But if you've read the book of Revelation, Jesus is no pacifist at all. He's going to show up with his eyes on fire, with a tattoo on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and a sword coming out of his mouth, and destroy lies with truth, destroy death with the truth of of, of life. So Jesus is no pacifist, but what he did not come to do was establish Israel as a superpower once again. He came to establish the church. And so he preaches this gospel. He does this work. He seems to have power. And then he's falsely arrested. Peter tries to keep Jesus from getting arrested. And Peter's a real bad aim with his sword because you know he did not aim for that ear when he cut that ear off. There's no way in the world he ain't like, I'll take a little off the side, you know? I think he aimed for somebody's throat, but he's just as wild with his hands as he was with his speech, okay? And Jesus heals the guy and says, this isn't what I've come to do. I'm not gonna establish the church with a sword. That's why we don't, you know, evangelize with ARs in our hand. You know, that would just be weird, you know? We evangelize by preaching the gospel as a church. Protect your family, all that sort of, that's fine, but that's not how people get saved. You don't round people up and throw, you know, have dynamite strapped to your chest and say, listen up, this will only take a second in the name of Jesus. That's not how the gospel advances. It advances by preaching the gospel. Christ is falsely accused. He goes to trial. He's arrested. He's, he's, he goes to the cross. He dies and he's dead. We, we experienced that on Good Friday. I hope you could have been here to be with us for that. And then they have to wonder and wait and know, like, is is he alive? Is he going to raise from the dead? Up at this point, he's just John Lennon, a guy who said some things and wrote some stuff down. He's just a Tupac, a guy who spoke truth to power, to the uh, spiritually or religious elite. But then what we find on resurrection morning in Matthew 28, verse 1, we find these ladies anticipating, hoping. They've gone to the tomb to see, is he there? Is he still in? Is he raised from the dead? And this is what you've come to find out today as well, whether you're the Christian or the curious or the cynic. We all want to know, is he alive? And so what we find in Matthew 28, verse 1, is now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone back and sat on it. That is awesome. That is a baller move, by the way, to just sit down. Like, could you imagine you bench more than everybody else in the gym, and then you're just like, that is, that is mic drop of the New Testament, okay? He just sits down on the stone, hanging out. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. I just want to hang out there for a minute and where the seen and the unseen come together. I want you to know that God made angels. Some of those angels rebelled against God and became demons. They were cast out of heaven. They have been given their verdict, but they have yet to receive their sentence. They will burn forever in the lake of fire, prepared for destruction and disobedience and those who will not worship Christ. These demons wanted Satan to be in the place of Christ, but they lost. So now they roam the earth and they deceive us. They're deceitful. They're liars. So angels show up representing the Lord Jesus Christ. They show up representing God the Father. They give us messages. They're always messengers in the scripture, but they don't show up like little cherubs, you know, that with round bellies and, you know, toddler faces and, and angels' wings. They always show up with a sword in their hand, and, and everybody thinks they're about to die when they meet an angel. I mean, you just read where the soldiers are like, you know, like fainting goats. That's what you and I would do if we saw that. The angels show up to deliver the message that Jesus has raised from the dead. 
What my prayer is for you today is that Holy Spirit would continue to speak that reality to you, that you, if you walked in here without faith, that you would believe that Christ has raised from the dead, that he's not here, that he's not on this earth somewhere. There's no memorial that we, or gravesite we can go to see the body and the bones of Jesus. He's not Johnny Cash or Elvis. He's not there. There's a place they've made up in Jerusalem where you can go and it looks like the place Jesus probably laid. I've, I've, you know, I'm, I've been there. It's, it's, it's amazing. You'll get goosebumps. But even looking at it, it's not the place. We have a cross. The closest thing that we have to memorialize Jesus is the cross of Jesus. The cross is a scandalous symbol. The cross is a, it would be like putting a, a, a needle around your neck for lethal injection. It would be like wear, putting an electric chair around your neck. If you wear a cross on your chain, it, it, that's how scandalous it is. But we've reclaimed that and redeemed that as a sign for hope for us. And the reason that the cross is the symbol of Christianity is because there's no place to go and pay more memorial and homage to Jesus because he's not there. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. And so that my prayer for you would be that you would not believe the deceitfulness and the deception of the demonic that would speak tr uh, lies to you that you would believe. So d the way demonic happens to us is, you know, it's, it's not always like, you know, uh, levitating while you're rocking your baby and door slamming in your house. I think that's all strings and stuff for, you know, TikTok reels and all that sort of stuff. What demonic activity is, is where you just believe the world is a certain way and it isn't. You believe the world is a way, so, so for example, the, the doctrine of God's sovereignty, maybe you could believe that God is in control. Demons would be like, yeah, you can believe God's in control, but you can't now reconcile while bad things are happening in your life. So you may believe that while God is in control, he can't be good because bad things are happening to me. That would be demonic belief, that God is in control, but he's not good. He's not kind. He's not a good dad, or he's an absent dad, or he's a negligent dad, or he doesn't pay attention when Monday night football's on, and you're going, dad, 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 dad. He's like, go to your room. I'm watching the game. That's not God the Father. So angels give us messengers. They're messengers who give us messages. Preachers are messengers who give us messages. And people have been messaging you and telling you that Jesus is alive, God's a good dad, and there's bad stuff that God will use for good in your life that will all be redeemed if you are his. And by faith, you can believe that God is both in full control and he is good. Just like the ladies, we've come to seek and see if Jesus is alive. We're all seekers in some sense. All of us seek in the two main power tools that we use for our fear and our guilt and shame. All of us are motivated by those things. We're afraid of being deeply known because if we're deeply known, people would know who we really are or what has really happened to us. See, in our fear, we're afraid you would know the things that, that I have done, the things that I've done that I feel so much guilt over, the things that I weep over. When I get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and I go back to bed and I can't fall asleep, there's those things I said or those things I did that haunt me and haunt you. That's guilt. Then there's those things that haunt us. It's not what we have done. It's what has happened against us. That's called shame. Shame is whenever an activity, maybe it was love and affection withheld. Maybe it was uh, uh, not love and affection. Maybe someone forced themselves upon you and used you, and you then attach shame to you. You thought your dignity was less than others. You believe the lies that you are the things that have happened to you, and maybe you even deserved for those things to happen to you, or you didn't deserve to get the things that you didn't receive from your dad or your mom or whoever it was. So we're all seekers wondering, how do I gain an identity? How do I feel enough? How do I finally feel like I've moved beyond the pain of the past? The two power tools we use are religion and rebellion. For the rebellious heart, your life is defined by using and abusing substances and people. You consume people like they are commodities. You see everybody as a resource to you. You're a rule breaker, a rule bender. 
The religious see people as, as, as a rank-and-file system. We're always comparing ourselves. We don't consume other people. We compare ourselves to them, and we conquer them. And we'll use things like morality or politics. The religious heart draws a line through all of their friendships and separates to the left and right the good and the bad, the worthy and the unworthy. And we'll take our politics or we'll take our health, we'll take our parenting skills, we'll take the cultural background where we come from, whatever it is that we use to make us right and make others wrong, our life's work is to prove how right we are, how wrong they are, and if they would just become like me, then they would gain my acceptance. And the reason you're doing that is you're insecure in the soul and you have not yet accepted yourself. And some of you approach God that way. You think he couldn't love you unless you stopped cussing. He couldn't love you unless you could erase the sexual sin of the past. That he couldn't love you unless you were more lovely. And the reality is that you're lovely. You're made in his image. You have his dignity. And Christ came in your place for your sin. And the way that you come into the presence of God is not by leveling up, but believing in the one who raised from the dead. His name is Jesus. The angel says in verse six, he's not here for he's risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. There's nothing wrong with reason. Faith and reason go together. Some people are worried and concerned because you have doubts. You're like, you doubt, like, could a man raise from the dead? You know, if you're going to doubt something, that's probably a legitimate thing to doubt. But I'll never forget what Tim Keller said about doubt. Hey, if you're going to doubt something, why don't you doubt your doubts? Isn't that good? I didn't think of that. <laughs> if you're going to doubt something, doubt your doubts. You doubt lots of things, and they always work out, right? My mom always told me, everything always works out. And I always think, Mom, that is the most dumb thing. You know, but every time she's right, you know, like, I'm starting to learn as I'm getting older, like, maybe there is really wisdom there, and it's not just her being superstitious, you know? But he's risen. He's not there. He's raised from the dead. Investigate. Some of you are here today investigating. Someone invited you, and maybe you have a cynical heart. That's okay. This is a safe place for that. Maybe you just have a curious heart. It's okay. It's a safe place for that. You've come to worship because you've investigated and you have settled in your soul that Christ raised from the dead. That makes everything true for you. Man, I'm just being straight with you. The reason I'm a pastor, the reason I planted a church, the reason I forgive people when they sin against me rather than throwing hands the reason that I don't believe that the fast have to always eat the, uh, the slow and the big always eat the small, and this is not just dominate your neighbor and take over and gain power, is because I believe with all my heart, Jesus raised from the dead, that he is not still in the tomb. He's raised and he's alive. And Holy Spirit has come inside me and gifted me, but also given me a capacity, a new nature to love you in a way that I couldn't without him. And the same is true for you if you are his because Christ has raised from the dead, this has three powerful implications for us. It has so many more, but I got to preach a sermon and we got another service going. Like it'd be weird if they showed up and we're just still going, you know? So, and we have, no, we have Easter every year. So whatever I don't say today, I can, I can pick it up next year. But here are the three powerful implications. If Christ lived a good life and died a death, then he's just Tupac. He's just John Lennon. He's just your favorite president that has gone on. And every once in a while, you know, they show something about him on the History Channel. You know, that and aliens. Y'all don't watch History Channel, do you? You ain't missing out on anything, I promise. Here are the three powerful implications that we have. Righteousness. Righteousness. Man, some of you are motivated by morality, and that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I tell my kids all the time, like, hey, don't flip off your teacher. 
you know? And the reason I have to tell my kids that is because I have to tell my kids that. If you know my kids, you'll be like, yeah, I understand. I don't want them ripping you off. I don't want my family, you know, like breaking laws and like all that stuff. I, I, that's, the, that's where I'm at, you know? But I don't want them also thinking that that's how we become a Christian. Like there's a way to live that, that leads to life and not death physically. And spiritually, there's a way to live that leads to life and not death. And that's not morality, that's righteousness. See, morality is when guilty people do good deeds. You can do a good deed, even if you don't love Jesus, okay? People in other religions, they do it all the time. I got friends who are Mormons that don't love and know the risen Jesus. They have a version of Jesus they love and cherish, and I'd let them house it for me. They could drive my car. I would give them my billfold while I go do something else, and they're really good, nice, moral people. But unless they trust in the Jesus of Scripture and his resurrection and his life and death, they're not innocent before God. And same for me and you. I don't have to just pick on Mormons like any of us. You can be Baptist without Jesus, and you ain't in a good spot, bro. Okay? Righteousness. That's what God requires. I don't know if you remember when we have eclipses. Like when I was a kid, we had a solar eclipse. Isn't it a solar one when the moon covers the sun? That's the solar eclipse, right? I should have researched that first. Thank you. And I remember being a kid, and they're like, hey, don't look at it. You can't look at it. You'll go blind. I was like, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. For whatever reason, you know, knowledge is learning from your own mistakes, and wisdom is learning from the mistakes of others. I have a lot of knowledge. So they had these welder's hood that we would wear, and we could see the eclipse through the welder's hood. And it's the same way with, with God. I want you to think of fire. I want you to think of the sun, that he's righteous before us, and we can't be in his presence or we'll die. I want you to think back in the Old Testament, if you don't know the story, there was a soldier who steadied the Ark of the Covenant as it was about to fall, and he died. And you might read that and think, God, that's pretty hardcore. He was doing you a favor. What if the Ark broke and Holy Spirit like spilled out everywhere, you know? I thought that was funny. You don't think that's funny. <laughs> the reason he died is it was like touching electricity. It's like touching the sun. That's, that was where the presence of God was on earth at the time. And you can't do that. God didn't make the world in such a way where you can hang out with him without being reconciled to him through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So whenever you trust in Jesus' life, you put faith in him like you put faith in your car that when you pulled up to that stoplight, your brakes would work, okay? Some of you have put faith in cars and the brakes didn't work, and you know what it's like to put faith in something that don't work. And all of us know what it's like to put faith in something that worked, at least everyone here, because you got here today, Okay? And you had to put faith in whenever you drove on Bell Road that they weren't going to hit you. Like you had to trust, you, you use faith all the stinking time. And you put your faith in the life of Jesus and he gives you what he did and takes what you've done on him. Uh, Martin Luther calls it the great exchange, but he didn't write the Bible, so we'll quote Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God took him who knew no sin and caused him to be sin that we could become the righteousness of God. That's what Good Friday's all about. Without the cross, Jesus is just our example. If he's our example, then he damns us to hell just like the law does. But because he went in our place and became our sin, we could be made righteous and we could be forgiven. See, you are innocent before God. That's your verdict. You know it's not your lifestyle. You know with your habits and behaviors and thoughts and deeds that you're still a sinful person by word and deed. 
And that's where some of us fall short and we stay stuck in this cul-de-sac of sin patterns because we still don't really believe that we're righteous. We think we gotta go out and earn righteousness. That's not true. You may have to white knuckle your way through habits and addictions and the way you treat people and you have to dig deep inside and find the, the, the inspiration and motivation from the Holy Spirit of God to forgive others. But the reality is that you don't live for a good name, you live from the good name that God has given you by faith. When you trust in Christ, he says you are innocent. In the same way that he spoke the sun and the moon and the stars in existence with his voice, he has the authority to say, no, you are innocent before God and your name is written in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And I encourage you to press into that truth and live from righteousness. Live from forgiveness. You are fully forgiven. You're not sort of forgiven if you trust in Christ. You're fully forgiven. When he went into the grave, he took your shame and your guilt and he drug it in there and he smashed it down and he left it in there when he walked out of there. You are not those things that you did and you are not the things that have happened to you. And the third thing that we have because of his resurrection is that this is historical. A supernatural event took place. A man was dead and then he was alive. And the same was true for you. You were dead spiritually and now you live because of Christ. Something happened to you. You did not just gain new knowledge. You didn't just pick up a new philosophy. You didn't get some chicken noodle soup for your soul. You got the resurrection of Christ. Because of the resurrection of Christ, you have real hope. What does hope do for us? Hope allows us to be okay when it's not okay. Because you have hope in Jesus, go vote at the polls, but whoever the president is, no matter where this country ends up, we're okay because we're dual citizens. Our first country is that of heaven. And that place always has a good economy, okay? It's going to be fine. We're going to be okay. You, get, you, you find out you're sick. You find out there's a tumor. It's not shrinking. That's not okay. I'm not asking you to make light of it. I'm not asking you to pretend like it's not there. I'm asking you to have hope in the resurrection of Christ that his cross eclipses that cancer and that whatever pain and suffering we'll feel now, it's real, it's legit, it's horrible, but Christ is coming. And our hope is not that we'll just cure cancer. I hope by God's grace, we can do that. I'm not, you know, I'm not that weird. My hope is that your hope would be one day death dies and that day will happen when Christ returns. He's risen so that you are righteous. He's risen so that you are forgiven. He's risen so that you have real hope, not in a raise at work, not that your kids slept through the night. Those are good things, but those things will betray you. Your kid will come get in bed with you. You'll wake up wet and warm, and it wasn't you. <laughs> You'll get the raise at work, and the job will go away because there's no demand for what you supply, but Christ will never fail. He'll never fail. He's risen. Verse seven, the angel says, go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going to be before you, or he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly for the tomb, from the tomb with fear and what great joy. Fear is in reverence. Like that was, you know, we, we had a near-death experience with an angel and great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. They weren't worried about their dignity. You know, they were, they were sprinting and flailing, hair flying everywhere. They're going to tell the fellas that Jesus is alive. And behold, Jesus met them. The resurrected Christ incarnate shows up and says, Howdy! Or I doubt really that he went, greetings, but that's the way we read it in the Bible. He probably said, hello, gals, or whatever it is. He said, hey, and they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. 
Jesus is the only one that we worship. Some of you are codependent and you're worshiping relationships. You're worshiping your family name. We as children are to obey our parents. As adult children, we're to honor our parents, but we are never to worship our parents. We're to worship Jesus. There was a man who showed up to Jesus and he asked him, how can I follow you? How can I become one of your disciples? And he said, unless you hate your mom and your dad, you can't be my disciple. Now, I wanted to give a disclaimer to that. I don't think Jesus is saying, if you can't slap your mama, you can't be with me. Jesus is the only man who ever lived that knows the intentions of your heart, other than parents. Like you, we have like eyes in the back of our head with our kids, you know. But Jesus knows what that guy, his life he was living, where his idols were, where his deepest loves were. And Jesus is looking into that guy's life and, I, and he sees, I see you worship family. Family is not just important to you, it's ultimate to you. So if I told you to go move to another state and plant a church and that breaks the commandments of your family, you will disobey me and obey them. Yeah, it ain't gonna work. You need to first love me, obey me. And so that's, what, that's where this joy comes from. That's what we're to do. That's how we obey Jesus. That's how he changes us. We worship him. Some of you worship politics. Like you're ate up with it. Like it's become your religion. It's not just your preferred way that government should work. It's your preferred size, bigger or smaller. More help for people or more work for people. Like one or the other, pick yourself up by the bootstraps or here's some boots, you know, whichever one it is for you. Used to, there was a day we had debate and dialogue. We could, it could get heated and intense and funny when people get real mad. But now we've turned it into good and evil. No, I'm good and you're evil. You know what that's called? Religion. That's Religion. If one is good and one is evil, you can never come together because the other one has to be destroyed if it's evil. If it's satanic and demonic, then we pray for Christ to destroy it and damn it to hell. How in the world can you live as a missionary if someone who opposes you is demonic and evil and deserves to die? That was you before Christ saved your soul. What do you worship? They fell and worshiped Jesus. Some of you worship family. Some of you worship politics. Some of you worship money. Some of you worship what people think of you. Worship Christ. He's the only one worthy of our worship. They fell to their knees and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And we're just gonna stop off there. And not even read yet. I got a minute 35 on the scoreboard. The scoreboard, what, the clock, whatever that thing is. That might be some kind of Freudian slip. I don't know. But I'm asking you to take hold and worship him. What do I do with this? I'm asking you to believe. Jesus did not live, die, and raise from the dead to give you good advice. Politics will give you good advice. If you go to a gym, they'll give you good advice. Good advice is save more, spend less, you'll have more money. Good advice is move more, eat less, and you will be less insulated. That's good advice. Good news is the cancer is gone. We don't see it anymore. Good news is the war is over. Good news is it's a boy. It's a girl. Good news is that Jesus is alive. What is our responsibility to that? To believe it. To believe it. Good news requires belief. You want to see joy-filled people? Joy-filled people are those whose identity is attached to the work of Christ, and they are resting in it. You want to see exhausted people? Exhausted spiritually, depleted, depressed, anxious hearts, people who are laboring for an identity, people who are proving themselves 
in this culture, proving themselves religiously, trying to prove themselves to God that they are worthy to be among his people. The only one worthy to make us worthy is Jesus. And I'm asking you to believe in your heart that he raised from the dead. What do we do? And it's as simple as ABC. We tell the kids this at VBS. We tell the kids this in elementary. We sing this over those in the nursery. Admit, believe, confess. Admit that you are sinful before God. Those things that haunt you. Now, I don't just mean like as a category, I'm sin. My kids who are yet Christians understand that there's sin, that people do bad things, that people break God's commandments. And if I said, what are your sins? And they're like, daddy, I don't know, but I know what yours are, you know? Well, then you're like, okay, religious heart. That's not, <laughs> that is not the fruit of the gospel. <laughs> but some of you are that way. When, me, when I'm on my worst day, I'm that way. I can't see my own sin, but I see yours. And if you can't see your own sin and all you can see is others, I'm begging God for you to see your sin, not to rub your face in it like a dog that you're trying to housebreak. What I'm trying to do is let you see the, the grossness of your sin, but also the glory and wonder of Jesus. Some of you came today because you find Jesus useful. My goal is for you to leave today finding Jesus beautiful. Amen. The beauty of Christ and his resurrection. Admit that you're sinful. Name the sins that you can think of. You can't think of all of them, that's okay. Something. If you're here today, you're not a Christian. How do I become a Christian? Believe this in your heart. And the fruit of that belief is we can confess our sin. Sin is most powerless when it's confessed. You wanna put sin to death? Drag it into the light. How do I do that? Use your words. Say it out loud. Say it first to the Lord and then those you love and trust who love Jesus and love you. Admit that you are a sinner and believe in your heart that Christ raised from the dead. I'm asking you to not believe in yourself. Not in that capacity, not in that way. You wanna make the basketball team? Believe in yourself. You wanna get promoted at work? Believe in yourself. You wanna to go to heaven? Believe in Jesus. Amen. Believe in Jesus and confess him as the leader of your life. Let him be the person that you would sprint for in public, that you would lose your phone and drop it and not care, that your eye watch goes flying, that your button goes bing, you know, because there's Jesus. And then when you get there, people are watching. What do you do? Well, hey, Jesus, a little fist bump, you know? No, you fall to your feet and you gather him up and you worship him because he's beautiful to you, because you were going to hell, and now you're not because of his life, his death, and resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful for the gospel. Holy Spirit, we love you, and we are so grateful that you give us a heart to believe, a mind to dwell on these things, and eyes to see our sin, and to see others through gospel optimism. I pray, Lord, that we would believe the resurrection, that we would believe we've been made innocent because of the innocence of Christ, that we have been fully forgiven because of the atoning work of Jesus and his blood being spilled for us and because of us. And I pray, Lord, that our souls would have rest and that we would be okay when it is not okay around us because of the saving work of Jesus. Father, my friends who are not Christians here today, let them become so. Let them admit in their heart their sin, believe in their heart that you raised from the dead and confess publicly that they will worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.